The film review podcast for movies most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free or whether it should be thrown back into oblivion forever. We review a films, others tend to forgive. Hello and thanks for joining us for Movie Oubliette episode 17, the Cross Hemisphere podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Dan, throwing a shrimp on the barbie at Christmas time in Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, roasting my chestnuts on an open fire in Cambridge, UK. So, as mentioned, we will be discussing fantastical cinema, horror, sci-fi and fantasy because we just love to shit our pants with fear, marvel at the stars and imagine we are big burly men in loincloths <laughs> swinging battle axes at dragons. Yes. <laughs> Conrad, how are you today? Almost Christmas. Almost Christmas. Very excited here. Mm. Yes. Love Christmas. I'm a big fan. How about yourself? Mm. Yes. Frantically doing last minute present shopping. <laughs> but it's it'll pay off in the end. <laughs> well, with my family, we always have a big family get together the weekend before Christmas. Oh. So I'm I'm like having christmas one round about now right and uh, yeah christmas two is a nice quiet affair oh okay yes so the franticness has happened already <laughs> uh i just wanted to do a couple of shout outs uh so mm. we've got a new listener rodnisha green who has uh started Ooh. listening to us and says we have great chemistry oh we so do that's, that's nice <laughs> <laughs> also a shout out to chrysalis in canada who is a long-time avid listener and has listened to every episode, I believe, up to date. So, wow. hello to Canada. Well, we also put a shout-out to uh, to our fans on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram asking for Ask Me Anything questions. Ooh, what did we get? We got so many that I thought that we could save most of them for a special New Year's episode eee. that we will do. Very nice. Um, so, but I've picked out the festive-themed "Ask Me Anything" questions, and so that we can do those today. Yeah, uh, we have one from Ellen. Big shout out to Harvey the Bunny. She asks, in a battle between Tim Allen in the Santa Claus, the Grinch, and the Home Alone kid, who would win? You can choose between academic, physical, or interpretive dance battle. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> uh, I think what's your pick? Interpretive dance, I think, would definitely go to the Grinch because uh, he he he's a bit of a fancy fellow. Yeah, he's a mover. Uh, in terms of physical, I, I would actually say Kevin McAllister. He's got his wits about him. He's got his booby traps. Yeah, he may be diminutive, but he packs a big punch with those booby traps, doesn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah. What do you think? I, I'm completely agreeing with you so far. Academic? <laughs> I'm not sure on that one. Tim Allen never struck me as a particularly smart guy in the Santa Claus. In no. fact, that's how he gets into that situation <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> I think Tim Allen would lose on all accounts, <laughs> on all levels. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the Grinch should win that one. He is the Machiavellian evil planner, isn't he? So, mm. yeah. That's true. I think that's he'd true. win academic. We also have a question from Serge of Cold Crash Pictures. Hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. He says, all of my favourite Christmas films seem to be American-made, It's a Wonderful Life, Funny Farm, Little Women, Die Hard, etc. And I'd like to expand my horizons. What are some of your favourite UK and Australia-based Christmas or holiday films? So this is a tricky one, I think, generally, because... Hollywood is such an all-powerful force. I'm not sure there is much local movie making, much less there enough of it for there to be festive movie making. Mm. What about you? Well, I can't. I can't actually recall any Australian <laughs> or New Zealand uh, Christmas films. I think we just don't have the tradition over here. Um, so there's nothing that's very festive. Also, obviously, we're in the wrong season. That doesn't help. Mm. Um, it's, it's not very festive Christmassy if you don't have, you know, snow and <laughs> warm fireplaces. So, yeah. If there are any listeners out there that know of any Aussie or Kiwi Christmas movies, please let us know. Mm. And how about yourself, Conrad? Uh, Christmas movies from your part of the world? Well, I think Charles Dickens probably created the prototypical Christmas ah, story. Yes. I think A Christmas Carol is it. It's a story about somebody learning the true meaning of Christmas and mm. the importance of other people over commercial concerns and so on. Uh, and I think most of the best Christmas films focus on that. So we have a few iterations of a, a Christmas Carol that we could point to. But probably the best example I could think of is Love Actually, which oh, of course. is quite a different approach to a Christmas film because it does focus on the importance of relationships, but it's a bit of a portmanteau film with lots of different characters and not mm -hmm. all of their situations are sort of uplifting and jolly. Some of them are pretty sad, but mm. there's some romance thrown in there as well. So I think that's a good one, which I've, I've no doubt Serge has seen already. Other than that, the ones that he hasn't seen, I'd be ashamed for him to see because we have this tradition <laughs> for really, really ball-achingly shit Christmas sitcom movies. They're called the Nativity series. And if I just give oh. you the titles, I think you'll you'll get a sense of the quality at play here. So you've got Nativity with an exclamation point in 2009. Okay. Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger. Then <laughs> no. Nativity 3, Dude, Where's My Donkey? No. And the recent... Nativity rocks, exclamation mark, this ain't no silent night. Oh, no. They are awful, and I really don't want anyone to see them. Oh, my God. But if you think of, like, the British equivalent of an Adam Sandler movie, mm -hmm. that's the sort of thing that you're going for. Low budget, Ew. common denominator comedy that most people just sit stony-faced throughout. So, <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that we do do particularly well is short animation films. So we're quite famous for the Raymond Briggs shorts, so The Snowman, The Snowman and the Snow Dog, and uh -huh. Father Christmas. Ooh, I'm not okay. sure if you've seen those. Not sure now, I the have. Snowman is the one that We're Walking in the Air comes from, if you've heard that 
Alla Jones song. Mm. <laughs> That's probably the closest we have to a sort of classic contribution to Christmas. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. That, that isn't shit. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> Talking about awful movies. Um, so what will we be taking a look at today? <laughs> it's not a great vote of confidence. <laughs> uh, let me go through this new access door that's just appeared into the oubliette room and then I'll find out. Door open. Oh, it's a lot of beige. Someone's been redecorating. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. Uh, whoa. <coughs> Good grief. Somebody's been chain smoking in here. Ooh. Okay. Uh, you, come here. Ah, uh, here we go. Oh. Just close this door again. Door closed. Right. Right. What do you have here? Well, I have a relatively new film, actually. It's a 2014 sci-fi comedy drama with a retro 70s futuristic style directed by Jack Plotnick based on a play written by himself and four other writers and members of the cast of the original show, I think. Right. And it stars Liv Tyler as a career-focused but lonely lieutenant commander who arrives at Space Station 76 to take over as co-pilot. But her attempts to fit in with the rest of the crew inadvertently acts as a catalyst to expose underlying tensions in their relationships. So her relationship with the captain, Patrick Wilson, is slightly frosty because he's threatened by her professionalism and she keeps reminding him of her predecessor who left under mysterious circumstances, shall we say? Mm. And she attempts to befriend Ted, a lonely engineer who wants nothing more than to reconnect with his wife, Misty, mainly for the sake of their daughter, Sunshine. But Misty's a completely checked out mum who is more interested in carrying on an affair with Steve, Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, Steve. Steve, yeah, you've got to have a Steve. <laughs> so basically... And it all comes to a head at the crew Christmas party. Hey, hey Christmas. There's the Christmas theme. <laughs> <laughs> at the crew Christmas party where all the secrets come out. And meanwhile, a meteor has been rushing towards them and they're headed for catastrophe. So oh no. that's our scene. Sounds riveting. Very exciting. And to discuss the film today, we have a very, very special guest. Ooh, I can't wait to hear who you've booked today. Uh, he's a big fan of the show. Listen to every episode. It's my brother, Gary. Oh. Oh, I didn't know you had a brother. Hello. Hello. Oh, What's sorry. You got a lot of equipment in this room. <laughs> Oh, watch out. Oh, dear, sorry. No, uh, just, no just, just sit down. Uh, hello, Dean. It's Dan. Really pleased to be here. Hi, um, Ga- Gary, is it? Uh, well, nice to meet you and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're talking about Space Station 76. Ah, uh, good. I've not seen that one. Oh, you, you kind of need to have seen the film. For what, before? To, yeah, to discuss it. Okay, well, I'll I'll go and watch it now. I'll come back in a few minutes. What was it called again? Space Station 76. Six. Yeah. Okay, hold on a second. No, sorry. Ah. Okay. No, just leave it. Okay, bye. So, Conrad, this is not going to work. Do you have anyone else lined up? Um, I don't know, actually. Let's take a break and I'll go and check.
Okay, welcome back. And I have found us a very special guest to join us today on our discussion on Space Station 76. He is an actor, writer and producer, appearing in lots of indie films such as The Fifth Passenger and Benjamin Troubles. But he's mostly well known and loved for being Bad Boy Billy in One Tree Hill and Borg Boy Icheb in Star Trek Voyage. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Manu Interame. Yay! I know that guy. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. It's really exciting to have you on the show. Oh, it's it's good to be here. I got to watch it a, a, an incredible movie, and I really enjoyed the movie we, we're going to dissect. Yes, so you chose the movie for us. Mm. Uh, perhaps you could give us some insight into why, or maybe it was just like <laughs> a, a pin in a list. I don't know. Well, it was a pin in a list, really. It, basically, we started the conversation with like, what's a good uh, holiday movie that's that's lost? I, I could only think of like movies that either weren't lost or <laughs> movies that were lost but then found again and nothing that that really was like on the edge here and i then you sent me a list of movies why don't why don't we check out this you know one of these particular films and so i went down the list and and made the call that it was too early for me because this was like last week it was too early for me to go straight christmas so i jumped to uh <laughs> i jumped i jumped towards the sci-fi since you know uh, star trek and all that I went, why not? Let's look at a sci-fi. <laughs> and I, 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 was, I really enjoyed Space Station 76. I hope more people get a chance to see it because of uh, this show. And um, it's, it was a really fun movie. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one. I certainly hadn't seen it before. Dan, had you seen it before? No, I'd never even heard of it. Which is strange because it's, it's not that long ago. And it's got an incredible cast. Uh, when you look at the lineup, you've got... Um, Liv Tyler and Patrick Wilson, who I love, and mm. and Matt Bomer, and Jerry O'Connell, and even Keir Dulay, who of course was David Bowman in two thousand and one, A Space Odyssey. So it's it's not an indistinguished cast for sure. No, it's. Um, I think somehow I remember vaguely seeing a trailer for it back when it came out, and I remember thinking they aren't marketing this right. Mm. And it was it, somehow that brilliant comedy that that the film pulls off. It's it's a really touching movie, actually. Um, it makes you care for everybody on the station, and it's sexy, and it's it's um it's that sort of like B movie sci fi thing is a hard thing to sell. Yeah, and and it's an interesting combination of elements as well, isn't it? Because it's kind of going for a seventies version of the future in twenty fourteen. I think some people were hoping when they saw the trailer, this is going to be like Ron Burgundy in space, <laughs> which it definitely isn't. And then somebody else said that it's kind of like the ice storm in space because it it takes this idea of seventies uh, suburban ennui that whole Ang Lee drama and, and sort of sets it sort of in space instead just to make it even more lonely and isolated and and put these characters in an even more strange situation where they can 
they can sort of um, go at each other. And I think it, that's probably a better comparison. You're right, I think the marketing, the, the trailer made this look as though it was going to be an out-and-out -out slapstick comedy, and that's not what it is. While watching it, it was much more of a kind of look into very quite broken, flawed characters with uh, um, substance addiction, whether it be alcohol um, or, or or smoking. There's a tremendous amount of smoking in this film. <laughs> There's a lot of smoking. <laughs> Uh, especially around small children and babies. Uh, it was the 70s. <laughs> it was the 70s, man. And it was the 70s, yes, it definitely was. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's much more interesting to look at uh, in terms of the characters. And it, it almost felt like it wasn't really a sci-fi. It was more more of a drama that had kind of, as, as Conrad mentioned, like that sort of sense of isolation and being quite detached um, and, and also being quite detached as characters as well. Yeah, it succeeded in really making you feel bad for the whole crew. It's just, just oh, these poor guys. Somehow trapped in the 70s. They never really mm. laid down the law how that worked either, but they 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 were like, <laughs> you know, they were stuck with seventies technology and the uh, and the Game Boy glove and all that stuff too. Uh, I, mm. <laughs> and the clothing, it's like maybe that maybe it's forty Earth years away from the new cycle or something. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although they are very image conscious, or at least Donna is very concerned about. Um, consumerism. She's really excited that Steve has got this promotion to go to Starship 8. And she says four stories of consumer goods and it's real exclusive, if you know what I mean. And yeah, so she's... Yeah, the 80s are coming. She's getting a boot up to the next century. Yeah, yeah, she's she's getting ready. And, and she even refuses the little girl, Sunshine, wanting to visit their new baby because she says, oh, you have germs and you may infect the baby. And then you cut to inside her room and she's actually ignoring the baby, having a cigarette and browsing the latest fashions on her Viewmaster <laughs> because... <laughs> That's how you get the latest fashion catalogs yes. in Space Station 76. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of really great details like that that are sort of quite satirical. And, and what's interesting is that they comment as much on our times now as they do on the 70s vision of the future then. So it's still, it still works on both levels, I think. Yeah, it's, it's relevant. It's genius level comedy. I, you know, watching a comedy where you actually really care for each of the characters in the movie, even the, as flawed as they all are. And it's done in such a simple way that it makes you think, that not a lot went into it, but the truth is, like a lot went into that movie. Mm. Uh, I've, I I was reading up about it, and a lot of people compared it to um, a TV show I've never heard of called Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, and obviously um, Star Trek as well. Like, uh, what were your kind of takeaways from how it compared to obviously being on Star Trek? I felt the, the what it feels like to be dated you know, on, on like a known for a show, uh, Voyager, if you go back and look at it. So I could sort of relate to just being like an old has-been sci-fi actor stuck in their world. <laughs> the corridors, you know, the being stuck on a space station thing. I, I did that for a couple of years, I remember. You don't really realize how good the movie is until it's over. The same thing for being on Star Trek as it was uh, watching Space Station 76. Like, you're just watching this very strange film 
um, that's great in so many ways. And then all of a sudden the credits roll and you're like, oh, wow. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I look back in those years really fondly of like, it was the one cast that I came on to work as a guest star where I felt immediately like I was accepted and a part of the team. And all mm-hmm. those actors went out of their way to make me feel comfortable and to make me feel welcomed. And um, that was the one thing about Voyager that I, I was blown away by because I've done a lot of guest star work where you show up and you're just you're just there for the those two weeks and they're not going to see you again, so they don't really give you the time of day. All the boys and girls on that show were very, they were down to rehearse during the, you know, off time and run lines or help you with uh, something else you were auditioning for or everybody was really kind on that set and uh, Voyager definitely had a family to it and to this day we we all still hang out for the most part so mm. oh wow hey Conrad do you want a coffee uh, oh sorry are you live yeah I'm, I'm right in the middle of an episode oh Dean hi hi Gary I'll, I'll go out <laughs> So the director, Jack Plotnick, talks about trying to give us the version, uh, the 70s version of the future that we never got to see. You, you mentioned that Voyager seems dated now. Do, what, what do you think is particularly 90s about Voyager as you look back on it? I, I couldn't help but just to flash on the episode. I think it's one of the first episodes where they like get lost or they go down to Venice Beach mm. <laughs> and they're all wearing these really terrible 90s outfits. Or um, That episode in particular is so 1990s television. I guess this maybe the safety of the writing, too. I mean, I always thought Voyager could be a really funny show, but they were never... I think every time they tried to do comedy on Voyager, I felt like they really failed um, because they were too scared to break any codes of the 90s i guess mm-hmm. um i think a voyager was a great show in many ways but if they would have been able to like do things without it being like cliche like the cliche romances of voyager and the the, the lame attempts at comedy i thought were very 90s yeah i mean star trek always tried to be very forward looking in its representation but i mean certainly it never had for example a gay character in the show it tried to touch on it in different ways by having androgynous characters and trying to do, deal with it that way. Mm-hmm. But it never sort of touched on, it went as, as far as perhaps you might have hoped on those, those sexual politics. And I think the sexual politics in Space Station 76 are particularly interesting because the sexual politics are very much of the 70s mm. in this movie. And I was trying to think as I was watching it, what are we gaining from being that regressive or are we trying to say that things really haven't changed? Because you have the captain is gay, but very conflicted about it. In fact, it ruined his relationship with the original co-pilot who mm-hmm. Liv Tyler's character, Jessica, is replacing. So you have that going on. And there's an awful lot of discussion about gender roles and how Jessica shouldn't be a lieutenant commander that's in, in such a responsible position because she's a woman. Because in, in something like Anchorman, they do it and they push it to such a degree where Steve Carell's worried that women will attract bears. Um, It's ridiculous. So it's kind of saying 70s sexual politics were crazy and Mm. this is how crazy they are and we can laugh at them now. Whereas I don't think that's what Space Station 76 was doing at all. I think it was doing something much more subtle than that. Uh, Yeah, there there was a lot of definitely gender roles. and, and, And in terms of also, it wasn't just the men 
saying to Jessica she should know her place. It was also the woman saying to Jessica that she should know her place. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, Donna even says at one point, I hope she wears a bra. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) This is the only issue. (laughs) It's very strange uh, to hear that kind of position coming from a character in 2014. Mm. I was just wondering if what your thoughts from from looking at sexual politics from a 70s stance, I'm wondering what what it's trying to what it's trying to say, maybe. Yeah, well, I am unfortunately think that that um, it's trying to say that in a lot of ways we haven't made any leaps or bounds or anything that we should be that proud of as a society unfortunately I, I I feel like we're just getting started and I think that's kind of what space station 76 is saying like you've got this the the lead gay character is a very macho like Burt Reynolds type he's trying to be as not gay as he can be until um, it's time to jack off. I think that's what it's saying. I, I, I hate it, but um, I don't think we've really come all that far. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing about the film that did bother me, that it 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 almost gets a bit puerile in a few places. So you have Jessica arrives on the station and after the, the computer stops announcing every time a door opens and closes, which I thought was... <laughs> A really amusing, um, gentle satire of, of the genre. The first thing that she has to do is submit herself to a medical exam. Seems to consist of nothing more than her breasts being scanned and then her being vaginally probed. Uh, yes. Which <laughs> sort of gets straight in there. <laughs> no blood test or anything. Just Again, you sort of think, oh, this is just exploitative. But then it has a point, so you kind of forgive it because... There's a very important character point that comes out as a result of this. I'm not so sure you can say the same about the later scene where Ted's power glove replacement hand goes crazy and starts rhythmically palpating Jessica's breast. <laughs> I'm not sure because <laughs> how you can excuse that as anything other than the the sight gag that it is, but it actually is quite funny. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really the glove is really like his um, his inner lustial desires. He's he's a really good guy, but inside he wants to bone just like everybody else. And I think that glove is like his uh, a peek it. into his yeah his id <laughs> in power glove form. Yeah. Yeah, I do love that he has these fantasies where he visualizes a naked woman floating in space in what appears to be like a Yes album cover. Uh-huh. There are like blue and purple stars, and <laughs> and at one point it actually the head on it changes to to Liv Tyler to Jessica. So he so the the fantasy progresses to her, but then later she has a scene where she says to him. Have you ever felt like you're floating alone in space and there's nobody there for you? And I thought, ah, that's really interesting because it has instantly humanized this fantasy figure of the naked woman floating in space. All of a sudden he can see how that feels from her perspective, almost, that this is something that, you know, she uses as a visualization of her own loneliness and a detachment, whereas he's just thinking about her as (laughs) like a sex object. And I thought that was Mm. really fascinating how that particular image was reflected back in a very different way. It was a very sexy movie that I just can't I I think being that it's the 70s and it's looking at sexual desires and all these people are trapped on this station with what they have and and they're trying to make their way it was really fun in that way like I I I think of this maybe it's just because I'm like really horny right now or something I don't know 
But I, I, I think back to that movie, and I just think like, God, that was a sexy movie. I really, I had a crush on like every character in that movie. They were all beautiful, and they were all beautifully broken, and that's what all like really classic movies do: is they make you care for how flawed we are as human beings. When a movie can make you love characters that are that broken, like I feel so sorry for the girl that she's such a self-centered twat at the same time, but. I absolutely adore her and feel for her. The the woman that has to go to the the robot and get all the pills and is neglecting her her husband and everything about her life and her reality. She just wants to veg out. Mm. But you feel for her, you know. It's like you could immediately just hate her. You know. I think the the point in the end is to like accept our flaws and laugh at our flaws and love ourselves anyway.、Mm. Uh, I'm gonna. Be、uh, totally opposite and say that I I actually found most of the characters not that interesting. <laughs> I、really? I found、oh. I found Jessica and Ted and Sunshine great, and I found a lot of the scenes that they were in there were some really touching moments and some very、um, lots of chemistry. But I found all the other characters very detached, kind of a bland kind of way. Uh, I found like the captain, although he had, was going through a lot of、uh, inner torment and and kind of dealing with the sexuality,、uh, I found him mostly、um, because they put a lot of humor in his character that really derailed the emotional sort of connection that you had with him. So he was trying to deal with his sexuality, but then he would try to kill himself. But then they would put. A gag and like oh, <laughs> he tries to electrocute himself in the bath in the space station prevents him, and then he tries to gas himself in the engine room in the space station prevents him, and it almost felt like it could have been a very powerful moment, but then they just put a funny ha ha <laughs> gag in there. I don't know. I I felt the the tone of the movie was unclear. Because there were moments that were funny, but then there were moments that were just a bit sad and depressing, and it didn't seem to mesh as well as it could have. I'm not saying that you can't have both tones in terms of、uh, like Wes Anderson movies do it really well. Those are incredibly depressing movies, but they're incredibly hilarious movies at the same time. So it's not like it can't be done well, but I'm not sure whether Space Station '76 did it for me. No, I I thought it felt very much like a Wes Anderson movie. There is there are similarities for sure. I mean, I thought with the captain there was one very important scene that doesn't follow the path that you mentioned, which is the masturbation scene. So he yes he calls his former love who has left the station. They have an argument essentially because what he's asking him to do is to continue to cover up their relationship, and because he fears. Career implications, but he takes that holographic video call and he edits it so that it just loops、um, with the guy saying, "I want you to make love to me, Glenn. I want you to make love to me, Glenn," and then masturbates to it.、Mm. But the thing is, that scene is not played. There is no punchline to that scene,、no. and watching it, I just felt incredibly sad for him. I just、mm. thought how desperately sad that's to be put into a position where that's the only satisfaction he can get. I just felt a lot of empathy for him at that point. So I thought that was very well done.、Mm. I I agree that there was a well done scene.、Uh, I I felt like they tried to do that in other scenes that 
didn't work. Like there's the scene with um, Misty talking to the psychiatrist robot um, thing. Um, and then she breaks down and then uh, the robot realizes that she's getting too close to him. And so it starts um, going berserk and, and, and alarms go off. And then she turns him off and then hugs him. And I, I think that was supposed to be a powerful scene, but it was just a little bit ridiculous to me because she's hugging a 10-inch plastic robot toy thing. And but the whole movie is ridiculous. I mean, it's a ridiculous <laughs> it film. Is. That's the, the fact that they can get you can get real emotions through this ridiculous comedy is pretty amazing. It's not not an easy thing to do. That's what that's what I kept thinking when I was watching this movie. Is that wow? People don't know how hard these people worked. <laughs> Everybody on this yeah. movie, every artist, the set designers, the 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 you know the little mm. trivial things like the robot cleaning in the background, and I just mm. just I don't know. It was a much more complex movie than it seems like on the surface. Yeah, for sure. And I think in that scene. On first viewing, I didn't find, because I watched it twice, and on first viewing, it didn't hit me. It was on second viewing, when I knew the full arc of her character, when I realised this is the only person that she has to talk to. And it gets to the point where, because it's no longer interacting with her in 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 a way that she needs, she has to turn it off and then talk to an inanimate object. Mm. Because that's all she's left with. And on the second viewing, I actually did find that just crushingly sad. (laughs) Because, yeah, just because I'd had time to reflect on what this actually meant in that context. Mm, Okay. So. Wait, Conrad, have you seen my hemorrhoid cream? Oh, sorry, are you live? Yes. Hi, Dean. Hey, Gary. I mean, I think my biggest issue with the movie that I had was it was a stage play to start off with. And uh, I felt like it wasn't adapted to film as well as it could have been. It felt it still felt like I was watching a stage play to me. All the scenes were always in one room. There wasn't a lot of movement uh, in terms of camera work. Uh, it was a lot of like two shots. And uh, I don't know. I, I I felt like I, I would have enjoyed it more as a stage play than a film. I always really just, there's almost never a time where they where they do a stage play uh, and they adapt it to film that I don't like it. I can't think of a time that I haven't liked it. I feel like good theater always works well on the screen. Um, it's often in a criticism that's leveled at, at films that are based on a stage play that it it hasn't escaped its stage roots and that it isn't cinematic enough to justify its existence. And I've always wondered whether, well, surely it can just be what it is. It doesn't need to transform necessarily into something else. There are various examples. A dilemma for murder, Hitchcock is probably one of one of the most famous ones that I can think of. If you have others in mind, I'd be interested to to hear which ones you're thinking of. Well, just two that popped into mind, and I can't think of the name of the second one. It was with Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel L. Jackson. It's about a um, basically a Christian hardcore Christian and a and a complete non-believer. The Christian saves the non-believer at a platform at a train station who, who tries to kill himself, and then he brings him home to his house. And the whole play is just those two inside the house talking to each other about God and the future and whether or not the other man is going to be okay. It's a brilliant 
play. And because it's a brilliant play, it's a brilliant movie. You've got these two actors that really just sit in one room for the for two hours. And it's engaging and it's powerful. And um, and at the end, you don't know if the guy's going to be okay or not. It doesn't really go anywhere. But that's that's the beauty of it is it's like... Uh, and Fences, you know, just came out a year ago or so ago. I, I thought it was just a beautiful play that very much deserved the film that it became. I didn't have any idea, in fact, until you just said it, that, that it was based on a play. I, I didn't see that. Usually I do. Mm, okay. Did you know before you went in to watch it that this was based on a play? Uh, I think I did, but I normally can pick it like uh when i watched fences i didn't realize that was a play and and while watching it it felt like i was watching a play maybe it's a, a personal thing but i think if it is going to be adapted into a movie i feel like i want something more like fences was great amazing acting um incredible cast very well shot as well but for me it, i wanted a bit more cinematically and I felt the same for Space Station 76. I, I just wanted maybe some more interesting camera work, some more cinematography. Um, it felt very like it was on a sound stage. Like I felt, I mean, obviously most movies are filmed on sound stages. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but for this film, it felt, I, I didn't feel immersed. It felt like I was watching a play on the stage with sets and, and everything just seemed a little bit fabricated, I guess, and kind of forced. I think they did that on purpose, though. That's I think the fabricated and forced thing is a, it was a choice. I don't think it was, I can't imagine that it would have been done so poorly that it wouldn't have been a choice. <laughs> that would have been really, really bad filmmaking. I feel like that was part of the 70s thing, was like, oh, the set might fall down behind us. The, this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think that's I think that's what the approach was definitely to make it feel like cheap and seventies and of the time, but I I felt like they could have maybe <laughs> gone a little bit further. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I don't know. I think tonally, like if they'd gone full slapstick, maybe it would have worked with the cheap sets, almost like you know Blazing Saddles or something like that. Just like a ridiculous. Mel Brooks kind of movie um, but because there was so so many kind of serious moments it, it just felt unbalanced to me I don't know <laughs> I, did, I thought the sense of detachment that you get from it was very deliberate I, I felt like that was exactly what they were going for in, the, in, in how you were supposed to be feeling about it that, that it is kind of cold and awkward and I think in a way it was to make you feel certainly what Jessica, because Jessica is the audience relation, the character that the audience gets to relate to because mm -hmm. she's the newcomer. So she, everything gets to be in the world is introduced to, to the viewer via her mm -hmm. and the sense of isolation and awkwardness that she feels, I think is definitely an intentional. I think that's probably what they were going for. And it works for me. And I, I, you know, I also recognize the limitations of the, the budget that they were working with. Mm -hmm. Now it's time for random trivia. And my piece of random trivia. Oh, Gary, I didn't know you were here. Um, <laughs> I guess you can join in. What's your random trivia? Did you know that the average family 
in modern times owns more motor vehicles than a family back in medieval times? Yeah, that's um, that's pretty obvious, actually. And what's that got to do with the film? Oh, is it supposed to be just about films? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, we'll just wait here. I'll, I'll go and watch one. I'll be back in a minute. OK, Gary. Grab your stockings. It's trivia time. What have you got in the festive treat bag for us tonight, Dan? Ah, well, uh, the <laughs> trivia I have for this wonderful movie is uh, the opening track of the film is, is a song called Utopia by Todd Rundgren, mm. who is in fact uh, Liv Tyler's stepfather. Ah. And uh, growing up, she actually thought he was her father until she found out that her father was in fact Steve Tyler from Aerosmith. Ah. So yes, I think there are four tracks of his music in this film as well. Yes, helps to have family connections for great tracks. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, from the 70s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very ideal. <laughs> I, I actually discovered a piece of trivia that I thought was quite fun. Yes. Um, so Liv Tyler has size 10 feet, which okay. is pretty amazing. That's pretty big. Yeah, it's, it's bigger than me. <laughs> so they were trying to find period shoes for her to wear on the movie, and they couldn't find anything that would fit. And she remembered that she had a pair of 70s style white boots that she bought when she was in Milan, but she'd never worn them. Uh, they were just like in the back of her garage or something. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> so she dug them out. They've been sitting there for 20 years and they fit perfectly and they suited the movie. So the boots that she's wearing throughout this ah. movie are a pair of boots that she bought in Milan 20 years before and hadn't worn since. Huh. That's pretty handy. And I did notice those boots as well. They were great boots. Yeah. <laughs> so well done, Liv Tyler. She brought a lot to this movie. Oh, she did. And that's our trivia. I guess I was just really stunned by the simplicity of the comedy and, and that it was working because mm. I just de recently did a couple of space B-movies that were trying to be bad on purpose. And when you make a movie bad on purpose it's really difficult to then swing back around to good. Usually you just end up making a really bad movie. And, and these guys, you know, really made a movie bad on purpose um, and made it work. And that's, that's a, a feat in and of itself. Mm. Okay, I'm going to go back to my Wiz Anderson reference again. Um, I feel that Wiz Anderson does make kind of purposely bad movies, like, like Life Aquatic, for example. There are special effects in that that are purposely made to look a bit tacky and ridiculous. Um, but it has a, a sense of uniqueness to the film and, and sense of um, it's got its charm and it's got its kind of quirkiness. And I, I didn't feel there was much quirkiness in this film. It was more kind of um, hammy jokes and then a lot of serious uh, moments as well. But it didn't have anything that was really uniquely wow. That's I've never seen a character like that before. Uh, I felt like I'd really seen all these characters before. Yeah, the effects certainly. If I could touch on that, that that's certainly an area where I thought they might have made a little misstep because they're they're using CG effects, and because well, that's the easiest thing to do now. Mm, yeah, they're CG effects that aren't great. Some of them are good. 
there's certainly the exterior shots of the space station with views into the windows in and them inside. Those all work really mm. seamlessly. Those work great. But some of the flyby stuff with the shuttle arriving and the the meteor that's heading towards them, mm. you can tell the resolution, the complexity of the models is is not quite there. And I was looking at it and thinking. You know, I just wish that they'd been able to do model work for this. Yeah, and done something really of the era. But you know, that I guess that kind of stuff is, you know, nobody does it anymore. So it's it's kind of difficult to get anybody to do it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I did feel like the CG kind of took me out of it because it was so very of the seventies, and and seeing all the CG stuff was um, like, uh, yeah, it, it definitely stood out. Yeah, it was more computer graphics of the 90s, it seemed like. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they were going for deliberately bad as well. Uh, do you think so? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Like uh, some of some of those, uh, the spaceships flying through, uh, it just, it, like you said, it, it did look like 90s CG. Um, but I don't know whether it worked. What were your thoughts, Manu? Um, yeah, definitely the, C- the CG was really, really weak. I... I- I liked the meteor strike though when the when the meteor actually there there's a shot where the when the meteor the ice hits the rock and shatters into a bunch of different uh, pieces. I thought that actually was model work. Um I don't know how they did that shot, but it was really beautiful when it shattered that was, into That there was a beautiful shot actually. Yes. Okay. And and then as they track the meteor and it gets closer and closer, it got cheesier and cheesier. Um but so it was kind of I guess that was the the problem is that there was it was a mixed bag you know but mm-hmm. it didn't t- take me out of the film because from the get go they they kind of let me know that I wasn't here for a level CGI and that it was going to be a mixed bag and as soon as I let that reality go and went okay I'm going to see some some cheesy things then I guess got into the characters in the story mm, okay. Uh, another thing that I felt um, could have been, I don't know, could have enhanced the movie a little bit better was the score was uh, interesting. It was it was a lot of, I guess, 70s prog rock, would you say? Um, and, and every time they showed the media, I wish there was something more sonically, something a little bit more life-threatening. What's the, so is the metaphor just straight up what it is? I mean, it's just death. Meteor is just, it's just death. I, I don't know. I thought the meteor represented Liv Tyler's character, Jessica, because I was looking at... She does the voiceover at the beginning where she talks about... She compares life to floating along in an asteroid field and and how asteroids can go on indefinitely and in a group and never touch each other. <laughs> but people aren't like asteroids. They change, so... Oh. Um, they can't exist in this constant state. The moment when she clashes with the captain really goes head to heads with him mm. is when you cut back to the asteroid field and the asteroid breaks apart from the rest of the group and starts flying towards the uh, space station oh. so to me the asteroid is jessica i mean there's also a scene where everybody else is making love but possibly to the wrong person and there's a there's a really good <laughs> montage where i think Ted is masturbating in the marital bed and Misty gets out and just walks out in in disgust mm. with him. And you cut to Jessica and Jessica is actually up late at night playing asteroids on a computer oh, yeah. game. <laughs> so, so I thought to myself, 
This is thematically what it is. That I thought Jessica is asteroid, asteroid is Jessica, and it all comes to the head in that uh, Christmas party. There's our Christmas theme. Oui. <laughs> the asteroid finally comes and hits them, but luckily it just destroys the shuttle that was due to take Steve and Donna off to their, their new exciting promotion mm. and just spreads all of Donna's consumer goods out into space. Although fortunately not the mother-in-law who is still frozen <laughs> and safely stowed aboard because yes. Donna was too selfish to load her in the first the first uh, ship to go out. And so it's sort of like she finally hits, this all comes to a head in this Christmas party because of Jessica's presence has made all of these different underlying tensions boil up and explode. Mm. But it doesn't destroy them. It just glances off them in a way that actually makes them reassess. So the next thing that you see is Donna just doesn't care about all these possessions she's lost. The next thing you see her doing is hugging her baby. So she finally seems to be caring about the things that are more important, her own family. And Ted and Jessica have this lovely moment in the atrium where they're staring up at the stars together and they look at each other and smile and you think there's either a friendship or a romance blossoming here. It, you know, either is, you know, great, at least they're happy. Mm. So you just get a sense that the asteroid is her and she's come in and blasted them, but it hasn't destroyed them and they can all move on. Mm. Um, okay. That's just me doing my grand textual analysis yeah. thing that I always do. Yeah, I mean, I, I do I do kind of agree with Manuel as well, being that it symbolises uh, death because they kind of, yeah, like you said, they reassess themselves and realise that life is more important and their loved ones are more important and they should put their lives together. Also the fact that the meteor hits that container of, material possessions and that's not important you know it could have hit the space station they could have all died so uh, i think there was that mortality aspect as well yeah that was the surface thing i always see the surface thing i never get down to the levels where your 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 smart people get <laughs> <laughs> three years of film school that's what that is <laughs> sorry <laughs> It just comes back to haunt me and I start doing my textual analysis thing all over again. <laughs> but it's, yeah, yeah, you're you're both right. It, it's both things, isn't it? And, yeah. And I suppose that's quite a festive theme, isn't it? That uh, forget the material, focus on people and relationships. Hmm. I think that's sort of... And family. So... Yes. And family, yes. So Space Station 76 is a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is in the, in the end. We can say <laughs> It well, is a Christmas thing. So. It is, I think so. Oh. Yeah. Because this is raging on, on Twitter. Manu, I was going to ask you what your stance is on the great Die Hard debate. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, absolutely. I didn't know there was a debate. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> come on. Of course it's a Christmas movie. And, and Die Hard it's... 2 is also a Christmas movie. It also takes place during Christmas, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. It takes place during Christmas, but does somebody learn the true meaning of Christmas? That's my oh. that's my sort of litmus <laughs> test. Yes, I think they for do. For Christmas. <laughs> Either John McClane learns the true meaning of Christmas by dropping Alan Rickman off a building. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or... I think he does. <laughs> Well, doesn't isn't there a scene where where McLean comes running back to his wife and the and the family and the kids? Doesn't that happen at the very end? Hmm. And there's isn't there snow in L.A. or something? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's the importance of getting back to your family 
and the ones you love through grueling <laughs> terrorists. And That's the true meaning <laughs> of Christmas. <laughs> Tolerating the ones you love. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theater, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. Okay, listeners, it's just me and Conrad now, and it's time for the Moobly Awards, which have been roasting in the oven for three hours. So this is where we <laughs> nominate our, a bunch of our favorite things in a number of jolly categories. <laughs> so we always started off with our favorite quote, Conrad, and what was yours? Oh, my favorite was from the opening, which really had the sort of grandest speech ah, from yes. Liv Tyler as Jessica talking about the asteroids in space. I think we mentioned it. Mm -hmm. And she says, the more you try to create a paradise, the more you will resent the prison. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's quite thought-provoking stuff and very much tied into the theme of, in the 70s, everyone moving out to the suburbs and creating these perfect consumerist paradises for themselves and being deeply deeply miserable Mm, (laughs) right how about you did you have a favorite quote so my favorite quote is a lot less Uh, (laughs) thought-provoking it's when the uh when misty the uh, blonde character is having her session with the psychiatrist robot uh, and she's just divulged a whole bunch of very emotional information to the robot and the robot replies I'm going to up your dosage of Valium to as much as you like. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that there's like a break in the recording. So it's obvious that there's like a space for whatever amount could be Uh put in, you know, they've recorded lots of amounts. I am going to increase your Valium to as much as you like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hair and costume. Donna had a bunch of very beautiful outfits i think there was i actually watched this with my my wife hannah hi hannah um and she yeah there was one dress in particular that had these huge long flowing sleeves very 70s Mm. and you well i was admiring misty's farrah fawcett blow-dried curls that Ah. sort of curled away from her face I, i thought she pulled it off really well it was a lovely recreation of that classic farrah fawcett look Mm. that she didn't have in saturn 3 which was quite disappointing yeah it seems like a missed opportunity but oh well (laughs) Mm. she's famous she's got one thing and she (laughs) she didn't use it (laughs) oh dear so uh most i guess 70s moment or should we say 2010 (laughs) moment i don't even know 70s just the, the white sci-fi walls with the curved edged square panels in them. Uh-huh. I love the yes. fact that the first time you see them, sunshine is roller skating along. Or the roller skates themselves are a bit of a 70s cliche. But Indeed. she's sort of roller skating along, crayoning along these beautiful <laughs> white walls. And you think it's just a wanton act of graffiti, but actually she's helping Jessica find her living quarters. So it's actually... Something that just seems completely frivolous but has mm. a point to it. I also I noticed there's, there's one of those little robots just going around cleaning up the crayons. <laughs> yeah, <behind. laughs> yeah. Oh, which Marnie mentioned actually. Yeah, oh, lovely yeah. little details like that, which mm. is really cool. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I mean, most 70s, I guess, would also will uh, be relevant for most sci-fi moment was the cockpit just being full of flashing lights and, <laughs> and screens just <laughs> blinking for no reason. Um, I, I did love the joke that they had at the start where he pushes a button and there's this countdown and it, it pops up and it's just a cigarette lighter. <laughs> he just lights a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, a really great subversion of the, the genre cliche. Uh, yes. Before we move on, I want to quickly touch on my, another cliche sci-fi moment. All the doors were sliding and they made the stereotypical sci-fi sound of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the ship's computer announces... Uh, door open, door closing. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely pointless. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, favourite scene. What was yours, Conrad? I really liked the scene where Jessica and Ted were smoking cannabis together. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> yes. it just seemed like a lovely, genuine scene of friendship. You could see the... Yeah, their relationship developing. And then the watering sprinklers come on because mm. they're in the uh, atrium with all the plants. And I thought it was just sort of a genuine ray of sunshine in the middle of a lot of beige. <laughs> mm, that's true. That's true. My favourite scene was the the final kind of big confrontation scene at the Christmas party with all mm. of the people exploding and yelling at each other. For me, uh, that was the scene that actually had acting like some, yeah. some, <laughs> a moment to actually use their skills as actors and to really let rip and every single actor in that scene was um, very compelling yeah but yeah very powerful scene a lot of themes brought up and just good acting <laughs> mm. um how about effect did you have a favorite special effect in this movie uh I think Manu mentioned it before, but um, the asteroids as they were kind of flying through space, very beautiful kind of imagery. Mm. Um, mine was actually a relatively simple one. It was the hologram that Daniel, uh, the oh. captain's ex-lover, appeared on because it's such a lovely 70s vision of what a hologram was, which he's supposed to be sort of three-dimensional and existing inside this plastic tube, mm. but he's not to scale and he's got this sort of spectrum across him. Mm. Yeah, so I really like that. And no matter which angle they, they shot it, you could see that they'd taken all the different angles of mm-hmm. him. So, yeah, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Sound. Did you have a favourite sound effect in this movie? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I didn't think you would. <laughs> Well, for me, I really loved the moment when the meteor hit the shuttle and sent all of the consumer goods flying through space because it was silent so i was just taking my cue from you saying in our last episode that your favorite sound was no sound at all and i do like it when they do that in space because in space no one can hear your luggage (laughs) smashed up by meteor (laughs) (laughs) and i like that i thought that was good okay last category funniest scene for me the award has to go to Kier Doulet, who was Dave Bowman <laughs> on 2001. Yes. He disconnected Hal. He conquered the monolith and was reborn as a star child. Yes. But at the age of 82, he cannot have a successful video call with his daughter <laughs> <laughs> because he cannot line his face up with the camera. And I found that hilarious because... 
it didn't speak to the 70s so much as it spoke to, I, I expect, a lot of um, millennials' experience of trying to FaceTime with their mothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sexist. Their parents, their parents. It's not just mothers. Mm -hmm. As this demonstrates, it's fathers and grandfathers too. And I was just in stitches because he kept putting his face in ridiculous places. And yeah, she really wanted to tell him that she was low and she needed to talk to him. But by the time she'd got his face in an, in an approximate position on the screen <laughs> where she could see him, she just gave up and said, it's, it's, everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I completely forgot about that scene. It was, yeah, 100% hilarious. <laughs> and that's our movies. Yeah. Hey, didn't guys, we lock that door? How does he keep getting in? Uh, Dean. Gary. I know you're into sound and stuff. I myself have been mastering the guitar for about 20 years now. Yep. So I thought it'd be really good if you guys would let me play the jingle before the next bit. No, no, no. Gary, could you please oh, put the... Oh, great. Uh, here oh. goes. <clears throat> oh, wait a minute. Oh, no. Come on, make it stop. Nailed it. Okay, we are back for the final verdict. Should this film be pumped full of Valium and cryogenically frozen for eternity in the oubliette, or should it be released to roam the galaxy forever? All right, our guest today, Manu, what did you think? Uh, we absolutely have to take Space Station 76 and uh, save it from the oubliette. It's a very simple film on its surface, but if you get past the idea that films have to be complex and you just enjoy it for what it is, it's a marvelous, fun... Um, it pulled so many emotions from me. That's it. I just think Space Station 76 has to live on. And in fact, it would surpass the oubliette. It'd fly right past it because it's in space and it's sci-fi. So. <laughs> it's a touching film and, and super, super cheesy. And just the, just the fact that somebody went and tried to make a movie bad on purpose that was also good and touched you and succeeded... Uh, that's enough to save it from the oubliette. Okay. Dan, what did you think? Uh, I have a sense that you're going to go another way. <laughs> so I, 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 I get the intention of the film and I like the themes, the underlying themes, and, and there were some great characters. I, I really like Jessica and Sunshine was surprisingly really, really good as, as, a, as a kid actor. Mm. But I felt like a lot of the comedy fell flat for me and a lot of the touching scenes there just weren't quite enough of them and and for me it was a bit of a miss uh, on lots of uh, levels so I would actually say to throw it back in the oubliette <laughs> <laughs> have you uh, ever made a movie I I have I'm a sound designer I'm I'm involved with lots of films oh man how can you bag on a movie like this? I don't understand. Uh, that's such a cold and icy thing to do, to throw a film into a, an oubliette. Oh. oh, that's so cold. There was, there was gener you know, generous goodness in this movie. How could you do that? Oh, that's... Uh. <laughs> 
So I mean, we have a final vote from Conrad. So you are you are the deciding vote. What did you think? I am the deciding vote, and I have to say, the first time I watched it, I could see where you're coming from, Dan. I was sold on the idea of it being Ron Burgundy in space, and I was so disappointed that that wasn't what I got. Although I started to appreciate what there was in terms of it being this. This look at these all these lonely people and what's happening in in their lives. Uh, when I watched it a second time, and I was no longer waiting for Ron Burgundy in space, I actually did enjoy it a lot more and started to see a lot more in terms of what it's doing, talking about sexuality and sexual relationships and motherhood. There's a strong motherhood theme in there. With、mm-hmm. the we didn't mention this, but the whole thing with the the gerbils where the mother keeps eating all the gerbil babies. <laughs>、oh, <yeah> . um, <laughs> And Jessica is is offered up as a surrogate mother for Sunshine's last gerbil baby. Of course, Jessica can't have a child herself. So, I started to realize that there is a lot going on in this movie, and it's and it does it in a very subtle, understated way that sort of has an effect on you subliminally, and you don't realize. And that certainly on second viewing, I yeah, I I got a lot more out of it. So, with that in mind. And also bearing in mind that I'm a huge fan of Manu and had the big thing for Ichep when I watched Voyager, I'm going to be completely biased and side with him, <laughs> and I'm going to let it go. Ah,、oh, okay. <laughs> Which is probably bad motive, but there we go. Ichep was such a good boy. He was such a good boy. He was a sexy little little kid. I wanted to sleep with myself back then. I was like so. <laughs> He was. <laughs> I I go back and look at those episodes. He's I'm like 21 years old and fit as a fiddle and like I don't have an ounce of fat on me. I'm like, look at that guy. Oh man. <laughs> it's a very hard was... thing to do to hide. I always say this, but it's、uh, difficult to hide an erection in a Starfleet uniform. And that's another thing that we don't that you don't really think about a lot in space movies. You got to remember that. Um, oh, I, yes. I liked I liked that 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 Space Station seventy six、uh, looked at all those those things the sexuality and and I, I really loved the sexiness of of this simple movie and after this、uh, episode is over I'm I'm going to go rewatch it sounds good okay so we shall let it go be free be free so Manu it's been fantastic having you on the show ask. First Christmas show. I'm sure everyone has enjoyed hearing from you, and I'm sure they would love to know what they can expect to see you in next. What projects do you have brewing right now? There's a bunch of stuff coming out.、Um, anyway, people can follow me at Manuente Reme on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And some of the new stuff I have coming out next year, I'm working on the Circuit Film.、Uh, if you go to thecircuitfilm.com. You can see all about it. We raised a hundred thousand dollars on、uh, Kickstarter to launch this sci-fi anthology series that we're going to try to launch with a, a feature-length film, episode one, and it's a sci-fi comedy the first time around. The cool thing about the circuit is, in the end, we want to do ten episodes that all take place in this futuristic city, but are each a different subgenre of science fiction. And keep it on the lighter side of science fiction. Actually, do like an anthology series that isn't dark.、Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much dark dystopian、okay. science fiction. We want to do sci-fi comedy and sci-fi romance and that kind of stuff. 
that's coming early next year. Uh, we'll be directing episode one. Um, looking for a little more financing and then jumping into that. Um, and then I, I'm in a bunch of fun movies. We Are Boats comes out next year. Beautiful movie by James Bird. If you guys haven't seen his films, you should. They're adorable um, and just getting better. Oh, people should really go see Instant. That's the only thing I'm going to ask people to actually do. Go to Roddenberry.com and watch Instant. It's a short film that I did uh, a couple years ago, but finally came out on Roddenberry's website and on YouTube. And it's a beautiful little 21-minute short that I guarantee will touch your heart. Go take a look at that. Wow. And please share it on social media as well if you enjoy the film because it's the only way we're going to get people to see it. Mm, great. Sounds really interesting. Well, we would definitely do that. And listeners, if you'd like to follow us or if you'd like to dispute the outcome of Space Station 76, or you could suggest some other forgotten films for us to discover in our next episodes. We are Movie Oubliette everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you're not sure how to spell Oubliette, it is... Gary, can you knock it off with those bells? Oh, sorry. Conrad, could you repeat that, please? Ah, yes, and if you would like to email us, we are movie.oubliette at gmail.com. And most importantly, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you are using. It really, really helps us out. And it is the festive season, after all. Mm. Okay, thanks to everyone for listening. And I hope everyone has a happy and safe and Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, however you're celebrating. Mm. And thanks to our guest manu for being with us today we really loved having you with us uh thanks for having me on guys i thoroughly enjoyed the movie oubliette <laughs> well you're welcome back anytime yeah all right i hope they don't i hope you guys don't start throwing guests in there <laughs> <laughs> never uh, no no not so far <laughs> yeah merry christmas everybody thank you bye bye Hello, hello, um, I've seen it, it's, it's shit.